back to episode 12 of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. Today we're going to look back at UFC 292 Boston and we're going to take a quick look ahead of the fight night in Singapore. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back to another episode. I believe this is episode 12 of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast. And before we get into all the good stuff, I actually would like to give a shout out to the people over at feedspot.com. I received a nice email from the guys yesterday telling us that the Gladiators Den MMA podcast is third in the UK top 20 MMA podcasts. So big thank you to everyone that's been listening and shout out to the guys over at Feedspot who did this you know, this blog, this list, go check them out, they're, uh, yeah, there's a list of some good UK MMA podcasts, if you want to go find some other people to listen to along with this one, but yeah, made it to third on the list, which was a nice surprise, uh, anyways, getting into UFC 292, of course, the big news was the Sugar Show era has officially begun. Now, I've always been riding with Sean O'Malley, and if you don't believe me, as I always say, I post my predictions on the Verdict app prior to the fights. You can look at my predictions if you don't believe what I'm saying, because I predicted Sugar Sean O'Malley second round KO. I didn't do bad on my um, on my picks. The only one I got wrong was the Cheeto uh, Munez fight. I put Pedro Muna's uh, decision. Obviously, Cheeto won that one in a close fight. Um, we'll get to that soon. But yeah, 292. Fucking great card. And of course, you know, big news is the superstar, Sean O'Malley, is now the champion. And you know what's nice about that is the fact that he's reached the pinnacle now, right? No matter what happens from here on out, he will always be in the books as being the bantamweight champion. So if he loses the title in the next fight, if he defends the title five times, he is always now solidified as a UFC bantamweight champion. And not only that, he did it in the way he did it, which was obviously the viral knockout. And he did it against arguably one of the best bantamweights of all time, if not the best bantamweight of all time. Albeit, um, Sterling doesn't get the props and the recognition as I believe he should. Spoken about that before as well. But, you know, what a way to do it. I mean, he... It's just... It, it is exactly those noises I just made. It left me uh, speechless when I saw the way that he did it. Not only because I was really rooting for him... But it was kind of like the fairy tale finish, you know what I mean? Even when he was celebrating afterwards and he was getting the belt wrapped around him and stuff, you could tell this was like it was like being in a game or a movie for him. It was like it was just insane. But yeah, I mean <clears throat> excuse me. The um Bantamweight division now has just been totally turned on its head. I mean, either way, right? Uh if Sterling had won and he moved up. It would have been, you know, turned up on its head either way. But the way this has happened, I think it's caused a lot of doubt now 
in whether Sterling is actually going to move up or not. Because if Sean O'Malley's knocking him out like that, what happens when he faces a big striker at featherweight? But yeah, I mean, great game plan. And obviously we've seen now the videos and O'Malley's spoken about it openly about how he was injured going into this fight and that he didn't grapple for, you know, six weeks prior to the fight, which is huge against someone like Sterling. Now, he's had a year to prepare for this fight and for the, the most part, he's known that he's facing Sterling and even if Sterling lost to Cejudo, he would have been facing a wrestler. So, I don't doubt that he's not been well prepared to face a grappler. I don't doubt that he's been well prepared to face Sterling and, you know, the six-week window doesn't seem like a lot when you put it into perspective in terms of he's had a year to prepare but those six weeks leading up to the fight are very crucial, right? That's when the game plan and stuff gets implemented. But didn't matter anyway. Didn't need the judges. Didn't even need the third round. So we have a new champion and we have a bunch of potential exciting fights coming up. So I personally, I'm a fan of the Cheeto fight just because of the storyline. And I do think it sells. In terms of who's deserving, I'm going to go with Sandhagen, but I don't think Sandhagen's going to be ready in time. So you can't deny Marab, right? Think about Marab's, you know, last two or three fights. Think about the way that he's dominated those. Think about the way he, you know, annihilated Peter Yan in a way that nobody has ever seen done before, by the way. Like, who have you ever seen make Jan look that amateur? <clears throat> I mean, his record speaks for itself, right? I mean, he lost, was it his two UFC, his first two UFC fights, which was a split decision in his debut against Frankie Sainers, I want to say. And then obviously he lost that fight against Ricky Simone. But then... He won like nine, ten in a row, dominated Jose Aldo, dominated uh, Peter Yan, knocked out Marlon Morales. I mean, it's hard to deny Marab's next, right? What's exciting though for me is no matter who you put up against O'Malley, is he always has that knockout in him. So that's obviously going to affect the mindset of the fighters going in, but it's always going to, it's going to excite the fans either way. And he has this huge backing now. He's obviously a huge star, and the UFC are 100% going to push that. Evidence being, I've never seen it, and I've been watching the UFC and MMA for uh, 10 years, is directly after the main event finished. I don't have the exact time, but I remember going on YouTube less than an hour later, and the UFC had uploaded on their official YouTube page the full fight. So, the fact that they're pushing O'Malley instantly shows that they're prepared for this, shows that they know that they've got a superstar on their hands and they're going to ride with it. And so they should. O'Malley is such a marketable guy. He stays busy in the media. He has his own YouTube. He's, you know, he's got his hands in all these different kind of businesses. He's on these different channels. He, you know, he's doing the sport a favor he's kind of mixing with celebrities and stuff he's getting his name out there and it's only going to do the ufc justice and you know it's going to get eyeballs on the sport 
And at the same time, it just drives the haters too. O'Malley gets so much hate and so many people want to see him lose. That just adds to the fights. You know, people wanting to see you lose is just as important as people want to see you win because you're getting all those eyeballs on you either way. So, yeah. Huge, huge fight. Huge win. And, yeah, I'm, I'm fucking stoked for it. And... Before we move on to, you know, the rest of the card, I do want to quickly talk about the game plan of Sterling because I've seen people saying that, you know, he had a bad game plan going in. Why was he trying to stand with O'Malley? That's not how I saw it. I saw it as Sterling was trying to get O'Malley in a position where he could take him down, but O'Malley was keeping him guessing with the stance switches, which was obviously always going to be an issue going in. Don't forget how long as well O'Malley is. He's hard to get to. You have to push him up against the cage if you want to probably take him down effectively. And the way that he was moving and the way that he was staying busy on the outside and switching stances, he wasn't allowing Sterling to pin him down. The only time he was successful was at the very end of the first round. And it was so late in the round, you know, Sterling was just throwing these little punches to, you know, score points and win the round. And it did, and, you know, which is what he did. In the second round, when O'Malley slipped, Sterling seized the opportunity right away. His game plan was never to stand with O'Malley. He was implementing the leg kicks in the first round, which I think when you're fighting someone who's rangy and long is always a good technique anyway. But obviously, the way that he lost to Cheeto, I think people have always just assumed that, you know, his legs are an easy target. And obviously, he had those, he had like ankle surgery or something when he rolled an ankle in one of those fights he had when he said I fucking love you Joe Rogan after the fight but um, yeah so I think the leg kicks and then pinning him back, back against the cage is what he was trying to do to eventually get the takedown he just wasn't able to do it so props to O'Malley for that and when he did get a hold of O'Malley against the cage I think one of the commentators said it was similar to how Leon Edwards was defending the takedowns against Usman he was fighting the wrists and do you know he had the overhook and he was defending them exactly how you're supposed to defend a takedown up against the cage and even when Sterling had both arms wrapped around one leg he still managed to get out so it showed that he was prepared for the grappling exchanges even though we only saw a little bit of it fair enough the ones you know the the minute or so that we saw O'Malley was more than ready which again bearing in mind he's only 28 he's going to get better He's obviously been working on this for a year or so, probably more than anything else. We're going to start seeing these improvements. So I don't think O'Malley is going to be an easy target as people might see it, you know, against a wrestler. I feel someone like Marab, who's going to be in his face at 100 miles an hour for 25 minutes is a problem. But I think he can stand with most wrestlers in that division. I think he does well against Cejudo. As well, like I just said, he's so big and rangy for this division. His knee up the middle on takedowns in an open space is going to be a danger. And if he can defend well against the cage, and we saw with the knockout, he's dangerous going backwards. He can knock you out going backwards. So I don't think he's an easy target. I think O'Malley is going to surprise a lot of people. And I genuinely believe that he can stay at the top of the, of the division for a while. So yeah, the only thing as well that actually has annoyed me about this fight is the hate that Sterling's getting. 
Of course, people don't like him. We get that. But people need to remember everything that's happened in Sterling's, you know, title run has been out of his control. I have no issues with him, you know, taking the win when he got kneed in the head. If you've ever been kneed in the head, you know how much it fucking hurts, how dazed you can be. When there's so much at stake, don't forget, show money, win money is at stake. The title's at stake. Take it. Don't be a fucking idiot. And he beat Jan in the rematch. So that should have squashed any, you know, issues that people had with him being a legitimate champion anyway. And then his wins against um, Dillashaw. Dillashaw had an injured elbow, uh, shoulder. Not his fault. That's not Sterling's fault. And then Sterling beat Cejudo in a very close fight. Doesn't matter if it's a split decision. When you look at the record, it says that he won. So, yeah. The only issue is now people are, you know, Sterling wasn't that good anyway. They're giving him a lot of grief. Had a terrible fight plan. Uh, people need to just show him respect. I mean, he was such a gentleman in the cage as well afterwards, giving props, speaking highly of him, of O'Malley. Yeah, so that's the only issue I took from that fight. However, thinking of Sterling and, you know, who he's going to fight next, I have absolutely no idea what fight makes sense. A rematch doesn't make sense. If he doesn't move up, we've got to assume that he's going to compete. For, he wants to compete for the title eventually, right? He doesn't want to just go back to bantamweight and, you know, have these and just have a couple of fights. He is getting older. These weight cuts are getting harder. But at the same time, his teammate Marab, who has essentially stepped aside while still in his champion, will also be competing for the title. So if it's a race for those whoever gets the shot first, you would assume it's going to be Marab. But he's just wasting time then if he's fighting and Marab's going to you know, go for the title and then won't defend it against Sterling. So... I think a move up for Sterling is probably better. Albeit he's probably not ready for Volk, but if you put him in there against someone like Ortega, that's a great fight. Or, you know, Max Holloway. Um, Arnold. That's a good fight. So there's a ton of good fights that make sense for him, I think, at Featherweight. And he's definitely big enough to do so. So yeah, enough about that. Uh, I think I spoke enough. We obviously had the Zhang Weili fight, which I thought she looked fucking insane. Just give us Tatiana Suarez and I will be happy. She is... I mean, who doesn't like Weili, right? She has been insane since she came to the UFC. And I just can't think of a woman outside of uh, Rose, Rose that can beat her. And when you look at the way she dominates on the ground as well, and the way she survived that submission and kept going, she's a problem. And she's just so fucking strong. She's a great athlete, and... Yeah. I think there's a bunch of exciting fights as well, but I think Tatiana Suarez... Uh, is Erin Blanchfield in that weight class? She fights this weekend, right? Uh, she's strawweight. Because if she... No, she's flyweight, never mind. Yeah, give her Tatiana Suarez. Fight in China would be cool too, right? I don't think the UFC's ever fought in China, have they? Anyways, uh, Ian Gary, man, speaking of manhandling, Ian Gary 
manhandled Neil Magny in what I believe was the first ever 30-24 scorecard in a three-round fight. I mean, I thought that was a bit ambitious, genuine, uh, being honest. He did manhandle him. He did dominate the fight, but three 10-8 rounds? I don't think so. I don't like this narrative as well about how he needed a finish. It would have been a nice cherry on the cake, but when you dominate someone like Neil Magny like that for 15 minutes, it just shows how much he's evolved since, you know, he joined the UFC. He's definitely got the star power as well. I feel he's a bit uh, hit and miss when he's on the mic. I can never tell if he's being genuine or not. I always like when fighters are genuine, and I think that if you're going to play a gimmick of some sort, you have to be really clever with it, like Chael Sonnen obviously was. You have to be so good that people can't tell it's a gimmick, or you just have to go 100% in and just be lovable or hateable. There can't be an in-between, right? It's like Colby Covington. Everybody knows he's playing this character, but He's, he plays the bad guy so well, it, it does sell. So, yeah, if he's being genuine, I, he's just maybe... I just don't understand him that much yet, but... He throws me off a little bit when he's on the mic and stuff. But talent-wise, he's incredible. And... I mean, I've not checked the rankings. I mean, he must be top 10 now, right? But speaking of interesting fights... So many uh, interesting fights for Ian Gary. Speaking of which, I hate how much the UFC are trying to bury Wonderboy. Because obviously Ian Gary called him out right, which would be a great fight. Dana White was saying, oh, we offered him this fight, but he turned it down. Just Dana White is doing, and the UFC are doing everything they can to bury and make Wonderboy look like the bad guy. And it's just not going to work because everybody knows what a fucking... He's the NMF. He's the nicest motherfucker. He has the NMF title. So, they just need to fucking pay him the money and let it get back to business. But yeah, I mean, a fight with Wonderboy, a fight with Rachmanov, uh... A fight with Jeff Neal. Now I've seen that fight with Magny, I would love to see the fight with Jeff Neal. I do hope they make that further down the line. I saw something wild on Twitter the other day. uh, Or X, sorry. Where Ian Gary called for Chimaev. And that's just stupid, right? I mean, nobody in the right mind wants to fight Chimaev. Or maybe he's just being smart, right? He knows he's going up to middleweight. He knows the chances of Chimaev ever fighting in welterweight are very slim. So if you call a guy out that can't fight you back, he gets all the points, right? Everybody thinks you're willing to fight him even though you know it's never going to happen. Maybe it's just a good marketing move. I don't know. But yeah, I'm excited to see what happens with him. He's well-spoken even though I said that, you know, I don't get his personality. He's someone that I guess people could easily root for. He's obviously going to always have these Conor McGregor uh, comparisons just because he's Irish. But if you're growing up in Ireland and Conor McGregor is the person that got you into this sport, 
there's obviously going to be some similarities because this is the person you idolized. People just need to understand or be understanding, I think. These are just human beings. I think people forget that. I say it almost every time I do this podcast, but the MMA fans are just so fucking toxic. And it's all just nerds as well, nerds on Twitter that, you know, don't know anything. I don't understand it. Is it like this in other sports? I have no idea. I mean, I watch football, soccer for you American listeners, but I don't really follow it as much as I do. Like, my day-to-day is I get home from work and then I watch MMA podcasts. I watch interviews. All my Twitter and social media feeds is MMA-based. So all the news and stuff I'm getting is the MMA world. So, obviously, I'm more exposed to the trolls and the negatives as well than I am with any other sport. So, maybe this is just what it's like. Maybe I'm just, you know, in a sheltered kind of world where I just live in an MMA bubble. But, I don't know. If you're one of these people, you need to get your act together. Anyway, moving on. Uh... Mario Batusta got the nod over Demond Blackshear. Saw that this was a bit of a controversial one online. I can't remember how I scored it. Again, I do write for um, Verdict, but I'm not promoting them in that sense. I genuinely think the app and the idea behind it is amazing. So I'm looking now at the global scorecard, which Batusta round one, Blackshear round two, Batusta, no, Blackshear round one and two, Batusta round three. Not even that close either. Round two was pretty close on the verdict scorecard. I remember I definitely gave Batusta round three. I thought that was pretty clear. I thought round one was close. Or was it round round two? Yeah, I guess round two was the close one. And then... Yeah. I don't know. It was a close fight anyway. I mean... I wasn't too upset with the decision. Would have been nice to see Blackshear win just because he would have broken the record for the quickest time to have two consecutive wins. But... Yeah, it was a pretty good fight. Uh, Marlon Vera obviously got the nod. That was kind of a interesting fight. It was just like a Muay Thai fight in four-ounce gloves. It was basically what you get if you watch 1FC, just not as good as 1FC. Uh, I thought the fight was extremely close. I was very surprised that there was... was there? A th- I'm pretty sure that the judges gave it 30-27 to Vera, right? That I was definitely surprised at. Um, let me see if I took a screenshot or anything. No, can't remember. Anyway, yeah. So I thought that it was twenty nine twenty eight to Vera, but I wouldn't have been surprised if it was twenty nine twenty eight the other way, just because I think the first two rounds were really close. Vera is just a, he's his own worst enemy. He starts very slowly, and you know we know he's got that finishing ability. But there's just going to be some times where you're facing someone that's really tough. Pedro Munoz, for example. 
who I believe has never been finished, where it's just not going to be enough. Especially if it's a three-round fight, it's definitely a dangerous game to play. So if you're fighting a three-round fight against someone that you know has a chin, you just have to be a little bit more active. But obviously it didn't matter in this fight, he got the nod. I don't feel he did or showed enough to get a title fight. But, I mean, Colby Covington didn't do enough to get a title shot against Leon Edwards. It's pay-per-view sales, right? So, and if O'Malley was right in when he, I believe he DM'd McGregor and then posted it online, he said, you main event December, me co-main event. If the main event is Chandler versus McGregor and then the co-main is O'Malley versus Marlon Vera I think that breaks pay-per-view box office records just saying bookmark it bookmark this if that happens that breaks the pay-per-view records but yeah I don't think he did enough if we think about O'Malley's route right obviously the fight with Pedro Munoz stopped Nobody knows how that fight would have gone. I believe Munoz uh, won that first round before the eye poke. O'Malley was looking good as the fight went on, but there's no saying he would have won. Or if he did, it may have been in similar in a similar fashion to how Vera won, right? He might have just danced on the outside and got the victory by decision. But he fought uh, Peter Yarn after that, who was, an, who was an ex-champion. I still think that Vera, after losing um, in his fight before Munoz, that he needs one more big victory before he's deserving of a title shot. But, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, if you give it to Vera, I'm all in. I'm a big fan of that storyline. I'm a big fan of uh, both guys. I think it would make for a good fight, and I think the fans would love it as well, so... I'm not mad at it either way. Uh, yeah. What else? What happened on the prelims? Uh, yeah, I mean, fucking Chris Weidman. Pretty sad, right? Brad Tavares did what he needed to do. It was kind of sad seeing Weidman, the way he got his legs beat up. I don't feel like he needs to retire just yet in terms of ability. But I feel like the nature of the injury that he had and the way that he fought over the weekend, he showed that his mental, you know, his mindset is not the same. Obviously, that's the case, right? Double break, multiple operations. It's not going to be easy. And I don't think this is the game, especially at his age, where you can find your footing, you know, quickly. I think he's on the back end of his career. Yeah, maybe it's time to call it a day. I don't know. I mean, look at Tony Ferguson. He's lost six fights and he's still trying to get more. Give Chris Weidman a couple more. Let him go out like Robbie Lawler. You know what I mean? Give him a couple of easier matchups. But again, people are just going to beat up his legs. It's not going to be nice to watch. Either way, whatever happens, it's pretty sad. Uh, my boy Robocop looked fucking amazing against uh, Dennis Tululin. Got the brutal first round finish. The people's favourite, Gregory Rodriguez. We obviously had the two 
uh, Ultimate Fighter Finals. The Brad Katona final against Cody Gibson was a fucking banger. If you've not watched that fight and you missed the prelims, go watch it. It was it was insane. I mean, Brad Katona was... Yeah, I mean, both guys came out swinging, right? Both guys from the off. The pace that they were fighting at was incredible. They both were fighting like their lives depended on it. And I was happy to see that uh, Dana White said at some point, either after the fight or, you know, during the week just gone, that Cody Gibson will also get a UFC contract. So that's nice to see. Uh, Kurt Hollerbath, I mean, looked to be out against Lee Hammond, right? He was dominated for almost two full rounds before he found the submission. And then he looked really good in the f- in the semi-final and looked incredible in the final. So really excited to see how he comes back uh, in his second stint in the UFC. Austin Hubbard did a good, you know, represented himself really well in there. He fought really well. That was a close battle. But yeah, props to those two guys. Incredible fight. Uh, Andre Petrovsky defeated... Jared Merchant, which, I mean, he's kind of a gatekeeper to the rankings, I believe, if I'm, yeah. So, Andre Petrovsky, also another uh, tough graduate, obviously he didn't win, but he's been incredible since he joined UFC, I believe he's won four fights now. He beat uh, Nick Maximov, when I remember he was a big underdog, and he won by submission. He's beat Wellington Terman. Uh, I can't remember who he'd be on his debut, but he's looked good. His gas tank's always been uh, a bit of a worry for people. I feel like he's kind of shown that that's not necessarily the case. But, yeah, great card. I mean, we've had some bangers these last few months, right, with pay-per-views. And all the big events now until the end of the year, sorry, all the big events at the back end of the year look incredible. So, good time to be a UFC fan. But, yeah, looking ahead at this weekend now, I guess. So, obviously, it's the Korean Zombie versus Max Holloway. If you're a fan of the Korean Zombie like me, this is a sad, sad day. I can't see any way, especially seeing the way that Ortega beat him up. You know, what's Max Holloway going to do to him? just makes me sad man but zombie wanted this fight i'm pissed he didn't get to fight in korea it's in singapore which i guess is kind of close if it's his final fight he should have been able to do it in front of his home fans but yeah i guess if you're gonna get your face kicked in for 25 minutes then maybe it's not the best to do it at home i mean is there any way that he wins maybe he catches him in a submission or something but I just don't think he can get Max. Yeah, I just can't see any way he wins. But, I mean, I would love it if he did. I think if he beats Max Holloway, he definitely doesn't retire. But, yeah. Interesting fact I also saw um, on Twitter was this is his 10th straight main event. Which, I mean, as a non-champion, you know, he's obviously he's never been champion. That has to be some sort of record and it obviously speaks volumes to 
how much of a fan favourite he is. He, I believe, has had eight performance of the night bonuses, has the fastest knockout in featherweight history, was the first UFC fighter to ever win by Twister, he's challenged for the title twice, he had a fight of the year with Dustin Poirier, and yeah, I mean, everybody loves that guy, right? How can you not? And he's got a set of pipes on him. If anyone has, if you've never seen the video of him singing, he's on like some Korean TV show, it looks like a talent show or something, and he's singing and he's really, really good. So yeah, sad, sad uh, main event, but yeah, I don't know. Co-main is Anthony Smith versus Ryan Spann. I think this goes pretty similar to the way the first fight went, right? I think Smith has potential to knock him out. Ryan Spann doesn't have a great chin. But with the power that Ryan Spann has, I think Smith is just going to look for the takedown and, you know, submit him pretty quickly. I don't know of Ryan Spann ever having good ground game. Smith does have good ground game. I think Smith is going to most likely pressure him early, get his back up against the fence and try and get the takedown. Obviously, Spann does have that knockout power, could catch him, but... I think it's pretty similar to the to the first fight. Arguably the most interesting fight on the card is the one before that. Uh, Giga uh, Chikadiz versus Alex Caceres. You know, get ready for a lot of kicks, a lot of spins. I think Alex Caceres is potentially has a chance of winning this via submission. He has pretty good ground game. He has good long limbs. He could... He could definitely get a choke, a guillotine or rear naked choke. I've gone for him in my pick on verdict because it's a bit of a bit of a underdog pay pays on the XP points. Um, Rina Nakamura. Uh, I believe he's a bantamweight, right? That that should be a good fight. He looked good when he knocked out the the other guy, the other Japanese guy. Uh, in like 30 seconds or so in his last fight in February, I believe it was. He's a good guy to uh, keep your eye on. He can wrestle well. I think he's going to he's gonna get the job done quickly. Erin Blanchfield, one of the more exciting women fighters. I think she gets the job done. Uh, Justin Taffer, I think he gets the job done against Porter Porker. Porter, sorry. Now, I know Porter is coming off a win, but I think Taffer is... Too fast for him. I think he avoids anything that Porter throws. And then if I look at the prelims, I don't believe there is... A couple of names are recognized, but the one fight I am interested in is the opener. Uh, Cho Sung-ru versus Jano Ahrens. That should be a banger. Uh... Sungu Choi is very exciting fighter. Love to watch him. He's kill or be killed every time. But yeah, uh, I think that's pretty much everything I need to talk about. I know this one's a little bit quicker than usual. Um, I've been busy this week, so didn't have much free time. So being kind of strapped for time tonight to get it sorted. But here you go. Here's your episode 12. If you managed to sit through everything, I want to say thank you. Um, and I'll see you all next week for the next episode.